Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing veteran CFL quarterbacks Trevor Harris and Cody Fajardo trading places. The Hamilton Tiger Cats re-signing veteran linebacker Simone Lawrence. A number of CFL free agents fleeing for American Spring Leagues. The Calgary Stampeders signing an imposing Canadian receiver. And Enoch Mwamba returning to the Toronto Argonauts. But first... McLeod Bethel Thompson announced on Wednesday morning on social media that he has signed with the New Orleans Breakers of the United States Football League with hopes of garnering NFL interest for a possible contract in 2023. He thanked the CFL in a lengthy statement on social media, calling the league a, quote, miraculous and engaging product, close quote, and making it clear that his departure should not be viewed as a dismissal of the CFL. What do you make of Bethel Thompson's decision? First thing I want to say is good for McLeod Bethel Thompson. This is somebody who is doing something that is in the best interest of himself and his family, or at least what he considers to be the best interest of himself. And I'm not in any place to criticize that. If McLeod Bethel Thompson wants to play in the USFL and he's played in, in many spring, spring leagues before, then he's earned that right. He's 34 years old. He's a two-time East Division all-star and as much as I don't think anybody's ever considered McLeod Bethel Thompson to be an elite CFL quarterback he did lead the league in passing yardage in 2022 and he led the league in passing touchdowns in 2019 there's lots of very very good CFL quarterbacks who have never led the league in those two categories so as for the NFL thing I want to say that McLeod Bethel Thompson, in my opinion, is delusional, at least in that aspect. He's turning 35 in July. The NFL will not have interest in a 35-year-old quarterback who hasn't been in the NFL since 2016. I know that there are some players like P.J. Walker, for instance, who use the XFL as a springboard to the NFL. Obviously, Chris Streveler used the CFL as a springboard to the NFL. To me, those were two very different circumstances, guys who were younger in their careers, guys who are very mobile. Right, Chris Streveler can run as well as probably any quarterback in the NFL, except for maybe Lamar Jackson, though I think Streveler could even make an argument there that he can run with a guy like Lamar Jackson. So to me, that side of it is silly, to be quite honest, at least in my opinion. But good for McLeod Bethel Thompson. And I loved his statement, by the way. I want to touch on that, too. A lot of times professional athletes will have people write these types of statements for them. It was abundantly clear from the wording of McLeod Bethel Thompson's statement that he wrote this himself. And I'm not saying that in a critical way. McLeod Bethel Thompson is an extremely interesting, colorful character. And we saw that firsthand all throughout Great Cup Week in Regina. He has a very unique view of things in the world, not just football. And I love that we got to see that personality of his in the CFL. And I'm glad to read through his statement that he obviously still holds the CFL in very high esteem. So good for him with the USFL. I don't think we'll ever see him in the NFL, of course. And who knows? Maybe we will see him in the CFL again at some point in the future. But that's my takeaways. Love the statement. That was the the cherry on top for me. You know, I've been accused on this very podcast, in fact, of being a McLeod Bethel Thompson hater because I've never put him in that elite category. I've compared him to an Andy Dalton or a Kirk Cousins or someone of that ilk in the NFL. But I very much enjoy covering McLeod Bethel Thompson in the CFL because of how 
intriguing he is as a person and and quite frankly because of how he plays the game and the shots that he's will, willing to take so the league is worse off for him not being there now this is not a panic situation for the CFL normally if we had a legitimate starting quarterback coming off a great cup victory who was departing for a US spring league the alarms would be going off we would all be running for the exits it you know, the sky is falling. That's not the case here, right? This is a very unique family situation that McLeod Bethel Thompson has found him in. And for the listeners who don't know, his wife, Janika Hodges, she is the head writer and, and showrunner for a new Marvel series on Disney Plus, Ironheart. For anyone who's seen the latest Black Panther movie, uh, the young woman who is kidnapped. In that film, she's the main character in this series. So it's a very major project. And that puts a lot of strain on a young family. They have a young daughter together. And last season was very difficult for McLeod Bethel Thompson being away from that. We saw he departed almost immediately after the Grey Cup victory, was not there in person for their celebration in downtown Toronto because he had to get back to his family. And this is essentially a perfect fit. He signs with the New Orleans Breakers. Now, this is going to get a bit confusing because of how these spring leagues are set up, but they're actually based out of Birmingham, Alabama next season. So he'll play there. Most of Marvel's productions are happening in Atlanta, Georgia. It's about a two-hour drive between the two. So he's put himself in a situation where there's much less strain on his family. It's possible for them to, you know, move between the two rather easily. He can be there to support his wife and support his daughter. I think he's making the right decision for his family in that regard, and all other things become secondary. If it was all equal, I think we would have seen Macbeth back in the CFL next season, but it's not. He's got to put his family first, and this is a decision that allows him to do that. I've got so much respect for McLeod Bethel Thompson, and this is his decision. Some people will criticize him, and I've already seen it on social media, saying, well, there's no chance that he could go to the NFL at his age in the mid-30s. But if he wants to keep that dream alive, all the power to him. And he's left a bunch of money on the table here in the way that he's left the CFL to go to the USFL and putting his family clearly first. So I just want to get that out of the way, and I think – really stated that we should respect the decision that he's made because McLeod Bethel Thompson has been a longtime champion of the CFL. He has called the league out when he felt warranted. He did it at Grey Cup before he played in the arguably the biggest game of his career because he wants to see the players especially get the spotlight that they should. So first and foremost, lots of respect for MBT. As it relates to the Argos, I feel like the double blue saw this decision coming and Cody Fajardo provided that insight into the Argos quarterback situation through his free agent process saying he chose Montreal over Toronto because he felt like those were the two best teams to offer him the chance to compete to start. So that wasn't obviously very long ago in terms of the negotiating window and then ultimately when Fajardo could sign with a different CFL team moving on from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So I felt like this was coming for a while. Even when I talked to Ryan Dinwiddie, the Argos head coach at the winter meetings 
out west in January, you just got the sense that in times before with McLeod Bethel Thompson, he had made this decision rather quickly. So as it got into the negotiating window, I felt like there was a chance that McLeod Bethel Thompson wasn't going to be back in the CFL. And as you went along and then actually got into the free agency period, that those chances were slimmer and slimmer, that he wasn't going to come back north of the border and likely stay south of the border. And the Argos' interest in Cody Fajardo showed that. But also, and this is no disrespect to McLeod Bethel Thompson, I think the name value of Chad Kelly, if indeed he does become the Argos' starter in 2023, and Ryan Dinwiddie has gone on the record in saying that he believes Chad Kelly can be a starter in this league. He believes with more time Chad Kelly can prove that he is a franchise guy in this league, that that could potentially put more bums in seats at BMO Field and provide more intrigue around the Argos. I think you guys would agree. Everything that we've written on Chad Kelly so far in his time since he's come to the CFL has done really well on the site. And the fact that he's a different type of a dude, Michael Pinball Clemens says he brings people together, he dances. And the sign to me that there was going to be change at the quarterback position that signaled all of this was Chad Kelly walking out onto that stage in downtown Toronto, Maple Leaf Square, as the guy that was holding the Grey Cup when the Argos were announced. It wasn't Enoch Mwamba who was the MOC or what MOP and MVC of the 109th Grey Cup. It wasn't another veteran on that team. It was Chad Kelly. Now, some people will say, well, he didn't do much in that game. He had some critical plays to help them win it. So that really, to me, showed that there was a changing, at least in leadership and possibly a change at the quarterback position. And I think overall, it could be a big net gain for the Argos, especially at the box office and drawing more intrigue around their team with Chad Kelly. Now he's still largely unproven. And if he does earn that quarterback job to be the starter with Toronto, he's going to have to show that he can be a number one guy week in and week out. But with Swag Kelly on the field there, it is going to draw a lot of attention from across the country. And I think more attention than normal from people in the GTA. We're going to talk more about these U.S. Spring Leagues later in the show. So I want to keep this Argos focused. To to me, this is an area of concern, at least from a depth perspective for Toronto. I agree, Dunk. This is likely not a surprise for the folks in Toronto. However, Chad Kelly, presumably the starter. The backup right now is Ben Holmes, a veteran of two CFL games with zero career pass attempts. And that is it. They do not have another quarterback on the roster right now and we know of course that those spring leagues are chewing up some young quarterbacks who might have otherwise come to the cfl so to me maybe a guy like antonio pipkin who's still a pending free or is a free agent of the bc lions formerly the bc lions formerly also of the toronto argonauts by the way could be an option there michael o'connor canadian quarterback who was a free agent spent last year at the lions as well could be an option he was actually drafted by the argonauts out of ubc back and i believe it was the 2019 cfl draft so to me they need to add some depth there one last thing quick fact check jc it is not chinaka hodges it is chinaka hodge and i'm sensitive about that because i get called john hodges all the time why <laughs> i have no idea there's only ever been one of me it's just hodge but it's something that rubs me the wrong way so just wanted to get that in there. 
My apologies to, to Tadaka. And and I, I think we may be on the same wavelength here because I do think there is one other name that needs to be mentioned in this conversation when we talk about depth with the Toronto Argonauts and potentially bringing someone in. Obviously, I think it's best for the franchise if Chad Kelly is the guy, but they want someone to compete with him. They need a veteran who can be a 1B option. Dane Evans is sitting on the roster of the Hamilton Tiger Cats right now, raising his hand, saying, me, please, me, please, right? That seems like the natural fit. And there's no pressure on either side right now to get a deal done via trade. Evans is still under contract with the Thai Cats with no off-season money. They can wait this out and hope that another CFL team puts in a rival bid for him and sort of drives the price up, and Toronto can sit back and wait for him to be released before training camp. But one way or another, I do envision Dane Evans ending up with the Argos at some point before the start of next season and being that guy who can be the counterpoint, the veteran counterpoint to Chad Kelly. That situation is so intriguing, and that's what I was going to touch on, JC, when I kind of cut you off there, is if you're the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the thing that you want to do the least is help out your rival down the QEW, regardless of what you think of Dane Evans, and they do believe they've upgraded the position with Paul Levi Mitchell as their franchise guy going into the 2023 season. You don't just want to ship him down there for nothing, but if you're the Argonauts, you're sitting there saying there is no way that the Ticats can fit Dane Evans and his $400,000 into the salary cap structure there. And we saw Dane Evans post on social media moving trucks outside of his Hamilton home. So we all have a pretty good idea that Dane Evans is going to be in a different city than Hamilton. But if you're the Ticats, you don't want him to go to Toronto because it helps your rival, the team that you hate the most in the double blue. So I do think there can be some patience on the Tiger Cats side for what JC said, because there's no offseason money due to Dane Evans. The only thing that comes up first in his contract is a report and pass bonus in training camp. But in reality, the contract that he currently has is not going to be the one that he's on for the 2023 season. So does another team come to the table to try to trade for Dane Evans? I think it would be smart for Evans in his camp and his agent to ask to discuss contracts with other teams and what a trade might look like. Because I think you can make an argument for a couple of teams around the CFL that would be better off with having Dane Evans as their backup or to push the starter or however you would want to phrase it. The Ticats aren't going to want to help the Argos, but it just seems fait accompli that Evans does end up there. I don't want to say necessarily competing because Chad Kelly's been in this offense and he's going to have a major head start, but at least pushing Chad Kelly if he does somehow find his way to Toronto. One thing I will say is unless the Ticats give other teams the option of renegotiating Evans' contract to help bring about a trade, I've seen speculation out there that Hamilton has any type of leverage in this deal, and the answer is no. They have zero leverage. The Hamilton Tiger Cats, let's get that right, have absolutely zero leverage when it comes to Dane Evans because as you laid out, Dunk, every team in the CFL knows that the Hamilton Tiger Cats will have to cut Dane Evans. And if teams know that they can get a guy for free and also do the contract exactly the way that they want to do it, fitting it into their salary cap, 
negotiating a structure of their preferred length and all of that, they will never give up an asset to acquire a player. So to me, unless as the, unless the Ticats give another team permission to bring about a trade and, and renegotiate while Dane is still a member of the Ticats, there will not be a trade. He's going to get cut and go to the highest bidder or presumably the place at least where he feels is the best fit. But we'll have to wait and see for that to take place. The CFL's free agent frenzy has come and gone. You guys did a great job breaking that down on last week's show. However, there have since been a further flurry of signings that have continued to roll in. I'm asking each of you this question. Which of these, we'll call them maybe second-tier signings, is your favorite and why? Well, I really liked a number of the re-signings, but we're going to exclude them from this conversation. The guy I'm going to pick... Is coming to my neck of the woods with the BC Lions. It's going to be defensive back Mike Jones. Now, he's very comfortable at that field side corner spot. I think he could be an upgrade there over Jalen Edwards Cooper, who sort of penciled in as the starter there next season in BC. He's going to be a, a crucial part of a, a talented defensive backfield here with the Lions. But he also has some versatility, right? He's a guy who's extremely physical who can come downhill. He hasn't played safety before, but I could envision him functioning well as a safety if they wanted to move him to that spot, which is somewhat open in the line secondary right now. Or he can pinch hit at Sam Linebacker if Emmanuel Regumba goes down with an injury or doesn't perform as well as we expect in his sophomore season. So I think that's a really smart signing by the Lions. They spent big on the defensive secondary a year ago. It didn't necessarily pan out how they hoped with guys like Delvin Bro and Luchez Purifoy. So perhaps a little bit more of a, a bargain bin signing here with Mike Jones still improves this team and has better results. The one that I liked the most was Antti Milanovic Litre. He's a guy that could start if you really needed him to, can definitely get you out of a game as a Canadian running back in terms of running the football, is a big body at that position as well, a very physical runner. The Ottawa Red Blacks picked him up after the Edmonton Elks paid him an offseason roster bonus and then decided to release him after what went down in free agency. So I like the Red Blacks picking him up. He's a guy that is definitely going to contribute in a pretty major way on special teams and can step in for you on offense, can run the rock hard, can catch the ball somewhat smoothly out of the backfield, a very versatile Canadian, of which we've seen these guys in the past help out a lot of teams, albeit under the radar, because there's so much focus on the starters and the quarterbacks and the guys that are starting at the, quote, skill positions, even though I know you guys don't like that term that much. But Milanovic Litre is a guy who's a versatile Canadian piece that could be very key for a team that's looking to get back to their winning ways in the nation's capital. The signing I'm going to highlight is Micah Awe, veteran linebacker to the Calgary Stampeders. We all know that the Calgary Stampeders lost Jameer Thurman, an unsung player, I think, a guy who was somewhat of the heart and soul, you could even say, I think, of that defense in Calgary under Brent Monson this past season. With Cam Judge on the weak side and Titus Wall, who was sensational on the strong side this last year, Micah Awe just needs to be a thumper in the middle of that defense. And I'm not sure if anybody in the league hits as hard as Micah Awe. Yes, he's bounced around a lot over the course of his six-year CFL career. He's been a part of 
the Lions, the Argos, Red Blacks. Uh, he spent this past season with Montreal. And he also, by the way, was with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers during the canceled 2020 season. So not only do I like this signing for on-field reasons, I also like it for off-field reasons because that means Micah Awe only has to play for Edmonton, Saskatchewan, and Hamilton, and he will have completed the glorified Kevin Glenn ultra season works uh, uh, league wide. I don't know what you want to call it run of playing for all nine CFL teams. So I think it's a good on field fit. I think it's a good off field fit. The Calgary Stampeders desperately needed to add something to that defense after losing not only Jameer Thurman, but it also appears Sean Lemon won't be back at least at this point. We've, we've seen them lose a lot of talent on that defensive side of the ball. This was a good signing for them. I like it. Speaking of those re-signings, the Hamilton Tiger Cats re-signed veteran linebacker Simone Lawrence, albeit on a contract that will pay him significantly less than what he earned in 2022. The 34-year-old dressed for only nine games last year and wasn't nearly as impactful as he's been in the past. Was this the right move for Lawrence and for the Tiger Cats? It really was for both sides. Whatever money Hamilton has paid him in the past and even for the 2023 season is worth it just from a marketing standpoint. He is so well known in the greater Hamilton area, not even just in Hamilton as a city, but there's lots of big surrounding cities there that the Tiger Cats like to stretch their marketing into and pull people, let's say even from Guelph because they played a season there of their home games at the University of Guelph, down to St. Catharines, even in to Oakville, and maybe trying to get into that Argonauts territory a little bit. But he is such a marketing magnet for this team that I think it was well worth it. And from Simone's perspective, for Simi Hub, it makes sense. He lives just outside the city of Hamilton. He's there year-round. And I think he wants to show that last year was an anomaly, that he can stay healthy for a full or nearly a full regular season and not have to deal with some of these issues in terms of injuries that kept him off the field last year. And there are people around the league that will tell you that he's not as productive or impactful as Simi Hub has been in the past, but to have him as one of the vocal leaders on this team, he's really been the face of that franchise, I think for a long, long time, especially on defense He's got the most tackles in franchise history. So those are just some of the impactful ways that he has helped this Hamilton organization. So I think it took a little longer than Simone would have wanted to. He probably would have wanted to be re-signed before free agency. But when you survey the landscape of the other teams and their linebacking units, and if you're Simone Lawrence and looking at, yeah, what you might get paid elsewhere versus staying in Hamilton – and playing your 10th year with the Tiger Cats and what that could mean to your legacy, regardless if you're in a permanent starting role or not, if he's part of this championship team, that will just cement his legacy even further in the Steel City if the Cats are able to win a Grey Cup. And we all know they have the longest drought currently among all CFL teams in terms of hoisting that Grey Cup trophy, then his status as a legend will be cemented in Hamilton. I think you're bang on with the Grey Cup being a big part of this equation, Dunk. We all know that the Ticats fell short of winning it at home in 2021. They're getting a second chance to do that in 2023. And I don't think it would feel right if they accomplish that 
without Simone Lawrence there for what I'm going to presume is a last season. I know the team has not said that. Simone's not said that. That's me speculating. But at this point, he's 34 years old. And as you said, Dunk, we know that he is not the dominant player he once was. I still think he can have an impact. But if this is indeed his last season in the CFL, there's no better way to go out than trying to end that drought at home and getting a second opportunity to do it due to the COVID pandemic and the, the Hamilton Tiger Cats getting to host another Grey Cup so soon after they most recently hosted the game in 2021. Kyle Wilson, who started a number of games at weak side linebacker for the Tiger Cats this past season, remains under contract. Surely the Tie Cats could have rolled with him, but you get Lawrence in there. I also think, by the way, though they did add Jameer Thurman, as mentioned earlier in the show, they also added Fraser Sopic, which I think was a sneaky good add as a Canadian played at Western at that weak side linebacker spot. And they've also got a couple of guys who I've really liked in the draft there. They've got Grant McDonald, who I think is a very talented Canadian linebacker. They've also got... Um, uh, they've got Bailey Feltmate out of Acadia, who I really, really like as a former second-round pick. So to me, the long-term goal in Hamilton should be to make one of these linebacker spots a Canadian spot, if you can, because they've got the talent to do it. But in the short term, you may as well roll with Simone Lawrence. And I'll say one more thing on this. One of my thoughts was, well, Simone surely has to go back to Hamilton because he's made so many other teams in the league angry with some of his hits over the years. But if Chris Edwards can sign with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, a player who once physically accosted a Ticats fan and did so like recently, like we're talking like 16 months ago, then surely any any player can sign anywhere. So maybe maybe who knows? Maybe the Saskatchewan Rough Riders did have a little bit of interest in Simone Lawrence. So if Chris Edwards could move, apparently anybody could move. Brett Favre also played for the Minnesota Vikings. Let's remember that after 20 years, whatever it was with the Green Bay Packers. So anyways, I'm glad to see Simone back in Tiger Town. Here's hoping that he'll have some success with that team, getting them over the hump in 2023. Man, the, the thought of Simone Lawrence and Ryder Green, that's going to stick with me for a while. That <laughs> The outcry in Saskatchewan would, or, or the, the backtracking, people deleting old tweets. Oh, it would be something else to see. <laughs> For me, this deal comes down to the dollars and cents because if this is indeed a reduced contract, and I haven't seen the numbers myself, so I can't necessarily speak to that. But if it's at like affordable rate, a discount rate, then I like this signing for all the reasons that you guys highlighted. This is a a sentimental signing, right? Simone Lawrence, for as good as the Hamilton Tiger Cats franchise has been over its long history. I really do feel that he's probably a Mount Rushmore player for for them, not just because of his performance on the field, because, but be also because of what he's meant in the community, how active he's been, how outspoken he's been. He is the face of the Hamilton Tiger Gats, certainly as I've known them over the course of my life. Um, so it would not feel right to not have him back. At the same time, he's not a player anymore that you want to pay big-time money to. And I, I thought he got outplayed by Kyle Wilson last season. Yes, he battled injuries. Yes, maybe it wasn't the best example of the Simone Lawrence that, that we've come to know and love. And he can perhaps recapture that this season. But I doubt that, right? He wasn't the playmaker that he used to be. And so as long as you're not paying him like that playmaker, it makes sense to bring him back for one last hurrah. But I don't think we'll be seeing Simone Lawrence here in Hamilton long term. 
Hopefully he can ride off into the sunset with a home Grey Cup victory and really cement himself as arguably the second best player in franchise history behind Angela Mosca. A number of CFL All-Stars signed contracts with American Spring Leagues as Darnell Sankey, Tremaine Washington, Colin Kelly, and Cameron Kelly ended up in the XFL. And McLeod Bethel-Thompson, Hergie Maiala, Richie Sandani, Sandani, excuse me, in West Hills signed in the USFL. Is this something that CFL fans should be concerned about and the league themselves? To me, the answer is no, at least right now, and here's why. First off, let's remember two of these players, Colin Kelly and Richie Sandani, are both currently suspended by the CFL after testing positive for performance-enhancing substances. Let's also remember that some of these guys simply got cut. Like Tremaine Washington got cut. I believe it was before free agency started. I didn't think he had a terribly strong 2022 you know, Wes Hills reportedly had a deal in place with the Ottawa Red Blacks, but he doesn't have a ton of production in his career. None of these guys are top flight players, at least in my opinion. The only exception that I might say is Cameron Kelly, who I thought had a couple of very strong years at strong side linebacker with the Ticats. The other maybe being Herji Mayala, just because he is a Canadian receiver. I think losing Canadian talent to these leagues is a big hit. Losing American talent, not so much. The other thing I'll point out is that the XFL ratings from this past weekend, the first week of the 2023 season, and the XFL 3.0, if you will, were reported this morning on Wednesday morning by Mike Mitchell. In 2020, when the XFL 2.0 came back, the average television ratings in week one were 3.1 million. This past weekend, the XFL averaged 1.2 million, which is the same as they averaged in week five of 2020 so to what that means to me first of all those are those are very poor ratings for week one you at least want to be as strong as the ratings were at the start of the 2020 season they fell short of even half that the other thing that tells me is 1.2 million people were still interested in the xfl 2.0 a month after the 2020 season got underway and those are the only people interested in xfl 3.0 because the ratings from week five of 2020 were the exact same as week one of 2023. And I'm not here to crap on the XFL or any other spring league for that matter. I'm not, I I have no vested interest in their success one way or the other in a way. It's nice that more guys get the opportunity to play professional football. And we did see a number of XFL players from the XFL 2.0 or from the USFL go on to garner interest from the NFL, even sign NFL contracts. That's great. But to me, if you're looking at the long-term feasibility of these leagues, the television ratings from week one were a failure for the XFL 3.0. And I'll also say the attendance numbers, and take attendance numbers with a grain of salt because we all know how teams can manipulate these. Who knows how accurate they are or aren't and how many of these tickets were paid for. But the XFL reported in 2020 that week one had an average attendance of 17,500. This past weekend, the XFL week one in 2023 had an average attendance of 15,400. So that's a 12% drop off. So there's less butts in seats. There's less people watching on television. That doesn't bode well for the long-term success of the XFL. The USFL has not started its season, but it's now going to be competing with the XFL. So to me, the league is not off to a strong start. And at least right now, I'm not concerned about the CFL losing these types of players to those leagues. You know, if you had asked me this question even a you know half a year ago, I would have said the XFL is a stronger bet 
to stick around than the USFL. Now my views on it have completely flipped because the USFL is going into year two and the XFL with it launch with it with its launch, I think had a, a very subpar product, disappointing results across the board. Uh, you've seen some of the you know late planning stages in terms of where they were going to play and and various people getting into positions late. It just doesn't look organized or or well executed in any way shape or form now maybe that changes and of course we all know the star power of Dwayne the Rock Johnson is is what's driving a lot of this but I don't believe in its longevity at this point and quite frankly I'm still lukewarm on the longevity of the USFL now where these leagues hurt us the most in in the CFL is from a player recruitment standpoint you know, we look at the names that have left in this free agency process, and and really the only one that scares me, as you mentioned, Hodge, was Hergie Mayala, right? A, a strong, talented Canadian player going down. That hurts the league. Other guys, Darnell Sankey didn't really have any other offers from CFL teams, right? Despite the fact that he's led the league in tackles for two seasons, you know, not seeing is particularly valuable because he's more of a between the top tackles thumping linebacker, not as versatile in space as some other guys. And Be then careful, yeah. JC, he might <laughs> post about you on social media again. You know what? Darnell can can post whatever he likes. He's he's earning fifty thousand dollars a year now. It's uh he can he can get out his anger however he feels necessary. <laughs> but <laughs> the other guy, of course, is Cameron Kelly. And his situation, I think, is unique because this really is a stepping stone to the NFL for him. In my mind, didn't get the workouts he wanted. I think he's a good candidate to get signed out of the XFL um, after playing in the spring league and get into an NFL training camp, at which point he'll be out of his XFL contract and is able to come to the CFL Again, if that doesn't work out. So Cameron Kelly, I'm less concerned about, despite the fact that he is a CFL all-star and an absolutely tremendous player. But everyone else, it's it's sort of meh, right? The real concern is with these players who are playing for the first time, who normally would have come up to Canada, but now we're the fourth option, right? They want to go to the NFL. When that doesn't work out, they try one of these spring leagues or even both before eventually settling on coming to Canada. And that's a real concern, even with established players, right? We saw um, Canadian kicker Liram Haralahu before the Super Bowl go on on, on radio in, uh, in Niagara and, and talk about how he doesn't want to come back to the CFL right now because he knows he has to burn an entire year of NFL eligibility, essentially, to play in the CFL. Whereas if he has to go to the USFL or XFL, he can jump right back into training camp right away and have that full season again to to be eligible whenever a team needs a kicker. So these are the sorts of decisions that players are making when they're considering these spring leagues over the CFL. I've talked about it before. I wrote a whole opinion column on why the league needs to work to change the way that players are allowed to sign in the NFL and make it so they can make the jump immediate. I think that's a pressing issue from the CFL. So long as these spring leagues stick around, which again is not a certainty. Competition should help the CFL improve. And I think this whole discussion needs to have a focus on it, that 
we don't favor one league over the other. Yes, we do focus on Canadian football and the CFL and U Sports football and Canadians in the NCAA. And even sometimes we have some junior stories and obviously guys in the NFL like Achuba Hubbard or Chase Claypool. So we are just looking at this from a critical analysis standpoint. And I think I speak for all three of us, and you guys would probably agree with that. So when we look at these names that we've listed off here, each situation is so uniquely different. And JC has detailed them, I think, pretty well, as well as Hodge has done. I mean, you look at a guy like Cam Kelly, and he really felt like he had a season that warranted him getting at least more NFL workouts than he got and potentially getting an NFL contract. So he sees this play to sign in the XFL as a quick way to get film on the American field, playing the four down game. And ideally from his perspective, getting an NFL contract, Darnell Sankey signed down there because he didn't have anywhere else to go up here. And he should have signed that contract with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders that would have paid him a hundred thousand dollars more. Yes. It's Canadian. than he's currently going to make in the XFL. So every one of these situations is uniquely different. You look at McLeod Bethel Thompson, we talked about him off the top. His decision had a large family factor into it. So yes, there is going to be a talent drain on the CFL. Will we notice it? Well, that will only be answered over the long term. It's one thing to have the marketing power of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and I love when he does his thing and I'm sure a lot of other people do, but you're not watching Dwayne, the rock Johnson wrestle or play football in the XFL. So that's only going to last so long. The quality of football or at least the hype around it needs to continue building for the people who are involved. And yes, it is heavily financially backed and Danny Garcia is involved with the rock as well, but the quality and the numbers have to be there for this league to continue on same with the usfl but the usfl is a much different setup some of these guys are playing paying excuse me their way to pay and play that in the usfl <laughs> so much different situations here but i think overall the cfl needs to look at things like what jc touched upon that guys could potentially jump straight to the nfl or if they're getting that type of interest because the competition should drive the cfl to sharpen itself and make this league better. That's what I think the overall takeaway should be here. Because yes, there's going to be a talent train. There already has been a talent train because the NFL has expanded its practice rosters over the last number of years, and especially what those guys are getting paid on the practice roster. That's why, for example, a Chris Trevler is all right with being on the practice roster because he knows he's going to make a couple, if not a few hundred thousand dollars USD with the chance to get up and make the real money in and around a million dollars a year, those guys could potentially get. So those are some of the reasons why there's been a talent drain, but long-term for these spring leagues to have a major effect on the CFL and its talent, they're going to have to prove, and this is no shot. This is just reality that they can stay around. And anything that gets the CFL to take itself more seriously and grow is a positive thing. Looking ahead to the CFL Combine next month and the ensuing CFL draft, Three Down Nation will be publishing a number of profiles on draft-eligible players. JC, you wrote one of the first for this year on University of Guelph defensive back Siraman Harrison Bagyogo. Nailed that pronunciation, by the way. Tell us about it. <laughs> 
Yeah. First off, I want to say this was not a paid endorsement by Justin Dunk because he's a Guelph Griffin, <laughs> right? This was all objective journalism here. There was no pressure from up on high to get this to be the first profile. I find Bagiogo to be a fascinating prospect and a player for a number of reasons. First of all, really the crux of this article, he's 25 years old, like a lot of Quebecois prospects. He's a little bit older, but doesn't have a whole lot of tread on the tires because he started playing football, get this, at 18 years old. Not a snap of high school football in his career. He did not start until he was in Cégep and didn't start playing really on the field as a starter until his final season of Sejep for football. So only four years really of starting snaps at a significant level of competition, but has become arguably the best lockdown cornerback in all of U sports. Only 16 catches and one touchdown allowed in the last three seasons. That is absolutely insane. Now, the big question about him, he's got the size, he's got the length. I think he moves really well. He's played a lot of press man coverage there at Guelph, which is not necessarily the same type of system he'll be asked to use in the CFL. Scouts are going to have questions about how he translates because of that. But when I saw him down against American competition at the College Grid Iron Showcase in Texas last month, he looked right at home alongside major division one players playing the cornerback position he's got all the tools and i'm really excited to see how he performs at the cfl combine next month if anything over the years i think my analysis has proven that i am much harder on any of the potential pro (laughs) prospects coming out of the university of guelph than any other institution in this country or the united states for that matter but baggy yogo is the real deal a tall, long, lean, quick, fast athlete that is a dude that I think, and this is no bias towards the program I'm talking about as pro prospects, could start very quickly in the CFL and make an impact. He is a dude that, yes, he's a little bit older, as JC alluded to, because of the way that the Quebec football system is set up, but I I think could make an impact very well. Now, I'm curious to see what some of his testing numbers are. And I'm sure a lot of CFL and NFL scouts are too. But I just really want people to know that whether it was Kean Schaefer-Baker or any of the offensive linemen that the University of Guelph has produced in the recent run that they've had sending guys up front to the CFL or some of the defensive linemen, Jeff Finley comes to mind or Ryan Bombin even that I played with. I've been harder on those guys than anybody else because I don't want that bias to creep in. JC did a wonderful job chronicling Baggy Yogo and his rise to playing football, how he even got started after, what was it, a lost bet, JC? Yeah, with his cousin. He he was a basketball player at the time. He played hockey, played soccer, he played basketball, all at a very high level. His cousin bet said, you know, football players are better athletes. He said, I'll take that bet. Let me try it out. <laughs> Got a coach to phone him up. He thought it was a joke at first, but he went out there in his soccer t- cleats, tried it up, never looked back. There you wonderful go. story. Unbelievable story, and it's so wonderful to get the opportunity. We'll all be at the Combine next month at Edmonton to talk to these athletes, Woo! so many of whom have fascinating stories just like that. Very exciting. By the way, my least favorite thing about the CFL draft has to be, hey, this kid's a great corner. 
but can he play safety? It's it's maybe the only thing less frustrating or the or the only thing more frustrating than hey, this kid's a great running back. Can he play fullback? <laughs> but let let we'll we'll let the ratio talk be for another day and how teams. Yogo can definitely play corner. I'm not a talent evaluator or a general manager in the CFL, but he can definitely play corner. I just want to say one thing. And it just caught my attention when you talked about the CFL draft and the combine, Hodge, because we've had some people on social media banging on us a little bit for our coverage of the CFL combine, of the CFL draft process, and saying that nobody cares. Well, the way that I got started covering the CFL in a more in-depth way was wanting to shine a light on these prospects. And I think if we don't do it, it's doing a major disservice. So... I want the haters out there to understand that it is a critical piece in the team building process that general managers and scouts and coaches need to be held more accountable for their draft records in the CFL. And there are some great elite athletes that are coming to the CFL and that can make an impact if they go to the right team and if they're developed in a professional way or there are some teams that overdraft players or swing and miss and they should be held to account for either drafting poorly or drafting really well and these athletes deserve the coverage there are a few of them that are ultra elite that will end up in the nfl but that doesn't mean that these guys still aren't elite athletes in their sport because they're just that close or maybe one trait away, and I think you guys would agree with this, from being in the NFL. And I believe their stories deserve to be told. And JC has done a great job with Bagiogo to get us started this year. And you guys, John Hodge and JC Abbott, have done a wonderful job over the last number of years of covering these unique stories of guys coming out of the NCAA, out of Canadian universities, and potentially making an impact on CFL rosters. Like that's well said. I also think there's a great irony because I also see those tweets sometimes from people who say, oh, nobody cares about the draft because we also get tweets from people who criticize our other articles saying, well, you only wrote this for the clicks. And it's like, <laughs> well, so we're simultaneously writing stuff that is just for the clicks and also articles that won't get clicks like that. No, we're just we're just reporting what we think is important. And if anybody has an opinion on that, that's fine. They're entitled to it. But we write what we think is important. And that's the end of the conversation as far as us internally. If other people want to speculate that we do this for clicks or that for not clicks or whatever, uh, whatever, they're entitled to do that. We report what we think matters at Three Down Nation. And that's that's our internal conversation. It's as simple as that. Now time for Hodge's Heritage Moment. On this day in 2018, Orlando Steinauer not Orlando Steinhauer, by the way. While we're getting names correct, Orlando Steinhauer returned to the CFL as the assistant head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The five-time CFL All-Star defensive back left Canada in 2017 to become the defensive coordinator at Fresno State. Despite having a great season with the Bulldogs, Steinhauer returned to Hamilton where he spent one season working under June Jones before taking over as head coach in 2019. The Ticats went 15-3 and under Steinauer that season, the best regular season record in franchise history, though they lost to Winnipeg in the Grey Cup. The club returned to the Grey Cup in 2021, only to lose to the Blue Bombers again, though Steinauer was given the added title of President of Football Operations amid speculation that he could leave Hamilton for a college job in his home state 
of Washington. The Ticats finished 8-10 and 10 this past season, losing the East semifinal to the Montreal Alouettes. We'll start with Dunk. Where do you boys see Orlando Steinauer's legacy in Steeltown right now? Oh, it's honestly a bit mixed because that team was so dominant in 2019, but then there are people around the league and who were in the league back then that feel like that was largely a team that was put together and kind of developed with the front office that was there, you know, led by Sean Burke, the former assistant general manager, because I'm not going to say that long convoluted title that he used to have in (laughs) Hamilton, and June Jones putting Jeremiah Masoli in as the starting quarterback. So, yes, you still have to be a great coach, but I think what is left to be proven for Orlando Steinauer, as you so eloquently put that, Hodge, not Orlando, that is a city in Florida, not this man's name, is that he needs to prove himself as a talent evaluator and the ultimate decision maker, because that's what he is. As much as he wants to try to say that it's by committee, at the end of the day, it can be that committee approach, but he has the final say. So this is his team that he's selected to coach on the field as much as I'll respect his phrasing as it being done by a committee. So I think he is still held in very high regard in Hamilton, but until they win a gray cup, then people are going to have questions. And that 15 and three season really didn't mean anything because they weren't able to finish it off as heavy favorites against a Winnipeg Blue Bombers team in Calgary. And it should be said that, JC can correct me, make sure I'm right on this. But when he was at Fresno State, I believe he was up for assistant coach of the year in the NCAA. And that could have put him on a track to make way more money than he could ever even think of in the CFL. But he decided to come back because it's a league that he loves. Yeah, it's a league that he loves and and a place where his family is comfortable. Now, I'm going to keep this short and sweet, right? Right now, Orlando Steinhauer's legacy is missed opportunities, right? He's lost two Grey Cup games. That's what his legacy is in Hamilton right now. Now that can change in a heartbeat, right? He's got another opportunity this year. He needs, in my mind, to turn that team around and make them a contender again. He's got got all the horses with their haul from free agency to do it. If they can get to the Grey Cup game and win it at home, he instantly becomes one of the greatest coaches in franchise history, beloved on a pedestal throughout that entire city. But until he gets it done, it's about the missed opportunities in the past. Let's get to the three-minute drill. The Montreal Alouettes acquired Canadian offensive lineman Jesse Gibbon via trade from the Edmonton Elks in exchange for a second-round pick in the 2023 CFL draft. Does that move make sense to you? It makes a lot of sense for me for Montreal because there's not going to be an offensive lineman in the second round of this year's draft as good as Jesse Gibbon. So I'm not sure how this makes sense for Edmondson, but I like it for Montreal. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers re-signed Rasheed Bailey after he initially hit the open market. Is that a good move for the club? I think it's a fantastic move, especially with the reports that he took a significant pay cut and less money than what he might have received elsewhere to come back to Winnipeg. Now, all of a sudden, we talked last week about Kenny Lawler and Dalton Schoen being a great one-two punch. We know Nick Dembski is still there. 
Now you have Rashid Bailey as well, who was no slouch with almost 900 yards a season ago as another threat in that receiving core. It's looking very dangerous for that Winnipeg offense. Former CFL QB Logan Kilgore is reportedly joining the Denver Broncos as an offensive quality control coach. Is that a good hire? It makes sense, I suppose. He got a lot of hype for helping coach Arch Manning, who is of that Manning quarterback long line of dudes who can play the position pretty well with that last name. And he's got a big task that he's going to be dealing with in front of him, along with Sean Payton, and trying to get the most out of Russell Wilson because the Broncos are stuck with him for a long time because of that massive contract that he signed with the Broncos. Riders GM Jeremy O'Day said it's, quote, highly unlikely, close quote, that veteran center Dan Clark will be with the Riders for training camp. Does that mean that his career in the CFL and with the Rough Riders is over? I don't think so, because if you read between the lines here, O'Day said Clark likely won't be with the Riders in camp. But if they suffer an injury at center or along the interior of that offensive line, I think we all know who the very first call is going to be made to. And that, to me, is Dan Clark, who's probably going to be working on a farm like an hour drive away. <laughs> Defensive back Abdul Kana is back for his sixth season with the Auto Red Blacks, inking a deal with the team for 2023. Do you think the 32-year-old still has some gas left at the tank? I do. I love Kenna as a player. He only played 12 games due to injury last year, but I think he's still got something to contribute. I do have some questions about that Red Black secondary, though, because it's a very crowded defensive backfield i'm not really sure how it's all going to shake out in terms of who's starting where i'll be interested to see that develop as we go through training camp and the preseason the calgary stampeders signed physically imposing canadian receiver rice and john following a three-year stint in the nfl is that a strong addition it certainly could be. He'll have to change his body type because when he was in the NFL, he was viewed as a tight end and bulked up to do so. So to be quicker in the CFL, I think he'll have to trim down at least a little bit. But he's six foot seven and should give Jake Mayer at the least an imposing red zone target. Alouette's GM Danny Machocha says the team is, quote, extremely excited, close quote, about signing QB Cody Fajardo. Do you believe him or do you think he's just saying that out of obligation? I actually believe it. And maybe Danny Machocha just deserves an Oscar for his performance. But when he was talking to the media in Montreal, he looked very excited. And I'll also believe it for this reason. Considering that a few weeks ago, the Alouettes appear to have not even been sure if they could sign anybody, much less a proven quarterback like Cody Fajardo with starting experience and a former West Division MOP. I think he is excited. But again, maybe I'm just falling for the act. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have hired longtime Regina Leader Post columnist Rob Vanstone as their senior in-house journalist and team historian. Is that a good hire? I think it's an excellent hire for the Riders and an even better fit for Rob Vanstone. I can't think of a job he's better qualified for with his in-depth knowledge of Riders history and his connection to sports fans in Regina and across the province of Saskatchewan, quite frankly. He's one of the most prominent media voices there over a 36-year career with the Leader Post. Only good things to come from him now with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Toronto Argonauts re-signed Grey Cup MVP Enoch Mwamba and boundary wide receiver Markeith Ambles. Which re-signing do you like more, Dunk? 
this might surprise people, but it's Ambles for me. I think he's an underrated receiver in the CFL, a guy that can really help out Chad Swag Kelly if indeed he does get that starting job in Toronto to make some key catches on second down and convert those into first down. So I like Ambles. They went out and made the trade for Jordan Williams, a talented linebacker who I think is at least the future there in Toronto at the position, if not the present. So I like Ambles over Mwamba. For that reason that does it for this edition of the three down nation podcast good to be on with you fellas chopping it up and we'll be back next week